It's appropriate to come and to study God's Word in a setting like this or to take a class on subjects like prayer, but some of the best lessons don't happen in a formal setting. They happen informally just as we're together and hanging out. Um, a number of years ago, like in a different life for me, a hundred years ago when I was a youth pastor, I learned one of those lessons, and that was that we were going down to Tucson. You know, we got a bunch of junior hires up north right now in the snow. We were taking junior hires down south to go spelunking. You know what spelunking is, don't you? It's caving. And what a blast to go through these caves with these junior high students. And so I'm driving one of several vehicles, and I happen to have the amazing uh, opportunity to be the only male in a band load of junior high girls. <laughs> now, that was interesting, to say the least. But we're going down there, and I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out. And then something happened. One of the girls in the back said, you know, I've got an idea. As we go to this, to this retreat, why don't we just spend some time praying while we're driving? I'm going like, did I just hear what I think I heard? This is going to be an awesome retreat. This is going to be amazing. And one by one, the girls are going around the van and they're praying. And I'm thinking, Rick, what a great youth leader you are. This is amazing. Yeah, I should have been praising God, but I was, you know, taking some of the credit. And, and so anyway, it's going like that. And, and then the girl seated just to my right, her name was Carol. She was newer to the group, newer to the Lord, did not really come up in a Christian environment. And she turns to me very quietly and she says, you know, you go ahead. I don't know how. I thought that was precious that she would be honest enough to say that, not feeling guilted or goaded into doing something that wasn't genuine for her. And so I said, of course. And so I went ahead and closed in prayer, and I'm thinking, man, this is great. And I'm just basking in the glow of how marvelous this is. It didn't last long. As we're going down the road, there was, I think we passed a pasture on the right side. We're going through some country to get down there, and, and there was a burrow in the pasture, and somehow some girl in the group got compared to the burrow that was in the field, and that's not usually a positive comparison, and it got pretty snippy and snarky and snotty and all those nice words like that as far as the dialogue, and the girl seated next to me, the one that didn't know how to pray, she did have a mouth on her at times, and she was a little bit of a problem, and so she said something especially snarky, to which, from the back, the same girl that had said, why don't we pray together, said this, what do you know? You don't even know how to pray. Ooh, I slammed on brakes, pulled off the side. We had a come to Jesus meeting right then, <laughs> you know, because it was a teachable moment. And from there, there were a lot of tears and a lot of I'm sorry's and a lot of other stuff. But it did point out something, and that is, frankly, most of us don't know how to pray. We think we do, especially if we've been around Christian circles for very long, but you know, really, the, the young lady in the back had grown up in a Christian home, did she really grasp the heart of prayer because she knew the right words to say? The young lady that didn't know enough and had the honesty to say, I don't know how to pray, she is succumbing to a mindset a lot of times we as adults do. I hear a lot of my friends who don't know Jesus yet or are very new to faith, and they say, I just, I'd like to pray, but I don't know the right words to say. I don't know the right prayers as if... We utter these prayers in their magical incantation to move the hand of God. And what I do love about junior hires is a lot I love about them. And that is that they're honest. What you see is what you get. Adults, they haven't learned to shield it and cloak it like we do that mask the same types of attitudes. 
Well, Jesus addresses a number of different groups in his teaching them and us how to pray. We find this in Matthew chapter 6. There's also a parallel passage in, in, in Luke 11. But we're going to look at Matthew 6 today. And in a moment, I'm going to read the passage where he says, pray like this. But let me set the context for you. This is in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has gathered people around and he's teaching them a variety of things about the Christian life. And now he's about to teach them how to pray, but he wants to teach them how to pray different than what they've observed around them by their religious leaders. And so he first does a very masterful thing. He says, don't pray this way. Do pray this way. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, basically he starts out by saying, don't pray like the hypocrites do. Now he was talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones who were experts in the law. Don't pray like they pray because... They think because of the flowery words that they use and how they knit all these theological concepts together and all these things where they scrape the Milky Way that they will be seen by people as being so spiritual. Well, listen, they're praying to be heard by men. Do not pray to be heard by people. Pray to God, your Father. First lesson. Don't pray like the religious leaders who don't get it. Don't pray like the Gentiles, like the pagans, like the ones who may have a religious construct, but it's outside of the true faith and the living God and his son Jesus. Don't pray like those who are unbelievers, who are pagans, but yet may be very religious in their own religiosity. In other words, a lot of times people who are outside of the understanding of grace and the truth of the word of God believe in most cultures around the world have forms of prayer, forms of worship, forms of sacrifice. And he's saying, don't pray like they do because they think you have to wrestle God. You have to arm wrestle him. You have to convince him by your many words and your great petitions and your great fervency and your great faith and your great sacrifice. And if you're good enough and hard enough and keep it up long enough, you'll change God's mind. You'll get him to do what you want him to do. He says, don't pray like that. Instead, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray like that from the heart. Now notice he said, pray like this. He did not say, pray these words. There's nothing wrong with praying that. We'll do that at the end of the service. But it's not a magical formula. It's not an incantation. It's not the right words. It's the right heart, heart attitude. It's the, the posture of the heart more than the words that come off of our tongue. Are they honest? Are they sincere? Are they authentic? And we see this in the very first words, which we could take the entire sermon, we could take the next week, we could take 40 days of talking about these next two words and how impactful and powerful they are in revolutionizing our prayer life, our Father. And just to make sure, our Father who's in heaven, our heavenly Father. The first thing we see about this is it is relational. 
It's not about a religious activity. It is a religious activity, but it's so much more than that. Our Father, who art in heaven. In some senses, every man or every woman who's ever been born and ever created can say, Our Father, who art in heaven. We are his children by virtue of creation, and that's why we speak of the worth and the dignity and the value of all people, regardless of religious background, socioeconomic, racial, any types of things. Every man and woman has great dignity and worth in being created in the image of God. But there is a narrower sense in which men and women who have not just been born physically and bear the image of God, who have also been born spiritually, meaning we've come to the place to believe there's a God who loves us, who wants to have a relationship, but we can't, we're sinners. But God loves us anyway. But Christ died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin and was raised again from the dead. Those people who have placed their faith in that truth are born again to a living hope and are also spiritually the sons and daughters of the living God. So when we say, those of us have made that decision, our Father who art in heaven, we're not talking about some distant absentee landlord, some powerful entity, some force. We're talking about a personal, living, intimate God who calls us sons and daughters. That's radical in our understanding. We're not trying to appease him we're trying to simply talk with him. That's what prayer is about. We talk to a good friend, not to demean or belittle him at all. A number of years ago, I was introduced to an author I'd heard of from a distance, but I heard of him through our worship pastor who was there then. His name is Jim Van Hovel. And Jim came on and, and had a marvelous heart for worship. And uh, he led us in so many different ways, but about a few months after he came here, it was discovered he had a, a malignant brain tumor. And even after multiple surgeries, we walked with him and through about four or five, four and a half years of his struggle with this brain tumor. And frankly, he led us in worship, whether he was on the platform or whether he was in a bed. He was leading us in what's genuine worship. And part of what Jim led us in was introducing us to a book that he had been reading and a concept called Abba's Child. Abba's Child, and the full title there is The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging to God. It's written by a man by the name of Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning had been known for writing books like The Ragamuffin Gospel, a marvelous work about the grace of God, and, and now here, Abba's Child. And he keys off this word father. Father in Aramaic, one of the languages that the New Testament was written in is Abba. It's like we would say dada or mama. It's some of the first syllables that a child in intimacy can learn and can speak. Words that are so simple, but words that are so profound. And, and Jesus teaches here, cry out, Abba, Father, Dad. You're my protector. You're my provider. You're everything I want to be. You're the source of my living, Abba, Abba, Abba. When we pray, we pray, Abba, Father, our Father who art in heaven. What a beautiful picture. And you think, well, how did this guy get these insights? He, well, he was a Catholic priest of the Franciscan order, and yet he stepped outside of that because he wanted to get married. He couldn't keep the vows of celibacy. 
So some people look down on him as not being very committed within his tradition. Further than that, he struggled and wrestled with a lot of things, so he was given to alcoholism, and it was a battle in his life that sometimes he was in winning and sometimes he was losing. Some of you in the room might be saying, well, I, I would like to speak of God as my father, but frankly, I had a really lousy role model. My father was absent or he was abusive or there was other types of things. And it's hard for me to see God in any other form. And unfortunately, that's true for many people. But Brennan Manning didn't come out of a home with a strong and caring and nurturing father. His dad was there, but distant and constantly gone, so largely absent. Brennan Manning is pushed aside by many Catholics because he'd given up the priesthood and gotten married. He's pushed aside by many Protestants, especially evangelicals, because of suspicion of some of his Catholic theology. But I want to tell you, if you read that book, Abba's Child, he'll understand more the intimacy and capture something the evangelical church has been missing for many, many years. So much so, we invited Brennan Manning to come here and to speak at Desert Springs Bible Church, open it up to the community. And frankly, there were some of my friends in the evangelical community that took shots at me and at us for doing that. Brennan Manning even said here, standing in this spot, thank you so much for being able to come and speak to you because this is so unusual. See, he was pushed aside by church families. He was pushed aside by his own family. He struggled mightily. But it pushed him in desperation to understand, Abba, Father, I'm here. I need your help. I need your love. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Listen to what Brennan Manning says and learn from it. I quote, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. He calls it in many places the imposter. He also said this, and this is a little bit longer, but stay with me, listen to it. If you're a thinking audience, and I assume that you will, you are, you can hang with me, all right? Listen to this. I want neither a terrorist spirituality that keeps me in a perpetual state of fright about being in the right relationship with my heavenly Father. In other words, I'm constantly being graded. I'm judged. Nor a sappy spirituality that portrays God as such a benign teddy bear that there is no aberrant behavior or desire of mine that he will not condone. Apology to grandparents, like a grandfather or grandmother. I want a relationship with the Abba of Jesus who is infinitely compassionate with my brokenness and at the same time an awesome, incomprehensible, and unwieldy mystery. Our Father, who art in heaven. If you don't get anything else out of this message, take that away. That's a game changer. It's a life changer. It's about a relationship. But it's also about a relationship that is respectful. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven. You're not like the fallible father that I have had on this earth. You are a perfect father. You are a holy father. You are a, a, a dynamic, powerful father. You are my father in heaven above all others. You are God. I am not. That also is a game changer.
Hallowed be thy name is the next statement. We are to be respectful of him, honoring of him. Hallowed be thy name. Set apart, consecrated, dedicated. Words that that Abraham Lincoln used at the Gettysburg Address to talk about the battlefield that was there. And he says the people, there's not words that we can use to sanctify, to consecrate, to set this aside. The lives of the men and the women who have gone before us have done that far better than our poor ability to add or detract. It's not about the words. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Set apart, consecrated, not to be tritely used. In the Ten Commandments it says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't use it in an empty fashion. Some of you are saying, that's right. I hate it when I hear the Lord's name used as a swear word. But you know what? There's a lot of times that we slip into that ourselves Certainly, that's not good. But how many of us and how many are prone to say, oh my God, OMG? Are we really thinking about what we're saying? Sometimes I hear people who seem to punctuate every other sentence with, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If that's genuine and sincere, bless you. I don't want to be judging. But if it is insincere, if it's simply just a, something that rattles off the tip of our tongue, is that not also an empty repetition? Are we not in danger of using the Lord's name in vain? And our lives, do our lives measure what we say? Hallowed be thy name. When we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a man or woman, when people see us, do they see Jesus in us? Whether we speak the words or not, hallowed be thy name. Set apart, consecrated, different than every other paradigm that we see in the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we praying that God really will move and shape even though there is a kingdom that is coming that is not yet here but will come? As God has promised, it will be a kingdom in which righteousness reigns, in which Jesus will be on the throne, in which he will also wipe away every tear and every suffering and death and disease and all that stuff. There is coming a day when his kingdom will be here, and it's not yet. But can we not work toward that end? Can we not pray toward that end? Thy kingdom come. I'm looking for that day. In the meantime, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. A number of you ladies were in a Bible study that just started Thursday. Uh, a study that my wife Emily is leading. Uh, but it's done by, with Priscilla Shire, who's the Bible teacher. It's a video. St- Priscilla is the daughter of Tony Evans. I don't know many of you may know who he is. That's one gifted family. And she is an incredibly gifted Bible teacher. And she's teaching on spiritual warfare. So Emily and I sat down and, and we're looking at the first video. Some of you ladies will remember this story, but she talks about her cousin Jonathan. And Jonathan worked in a place and across the street from him was a Planned Parenthood clinic where an awful lot of abortions were taking place. And as a follower of Jesus, he felt, what can I do? And so he began to go out and stay the appropriate distance away. He's not one of those crazies that goes out and bombs an abortion clinic or shoots abortion doctors or holds placards with terrible pictures. And 
he's basically there to try to engage in conversation with anybody who would be willing to do so. And he stays there and he is asking if people pull up to roll down your window. If they roll down, they talk, they had material to give and those types of things. But in this case, he was out on a cold winter, rainy morning in the 20s, I believe it was. Car after car is going by. Nobody will stop. Nobody will talk. He sees them pull in, sees people go in, sees them later on leave. He's beginning to become frustrated with the fact that nobody's willing to talk. Nobody seems to care and even frustrated at God because God, why do you have me here? This is not doing any good. Why, why would you have me be here? And a white pickup truck comes up. I believe it was a Ford. There's an older gentleman and a younger woman, probably late teens, come by. You can see through the windows that they pull in. They don't stop and pull up and the engine stays on for a few minutes because you can see the exhaust coming out and then it goes off, but the truck don't get out of the truck. They're still in the truck and there seems to be some conversation going on and, and it looks like that it's very emotional. It looks like the woman, the young woman has her head in her hands and, and she's perhaps sobbing because of her shoulders moving and, and all like this. And so he's frustrated because he can't talk with them and he so wants to talk with them. And, and the Spirit of God says to him in essence, talk to me. And he begins to pray for them, realizing that there is a battle that's going on inside the cab of that truck, a battle between that which is good and godly and that which is not. And he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and the conversation still goes on in the truck. And after a while, the engine comes back on, and they back out, and they leave. He had never, ever talked to them. But to whom had he talked? To God. And I believe in essence he was praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, there's many ways we should pray that. We ought to pray that for our president, for people in positions of authority. We ought to pray that for a Supreme Court and for nominations that are there. We should pray that for our country. We should pray that for ourselves. We should pray that God's principles will rule and reign because he is the supreme above all other supremes. He is the final court. He is the all authority. There is no one else that's omnipotent and omniscient and all-knowing, and in him is our hope. We should work toward change without a question. I love the fact that Jonathan prayed I also love the fact that increasingly because of the needs of young women who are single, who find themselves pregnant, that the church has increasingly over the last number of years provided some more viable alternatives. I'm thankful for families that have adopted children. I'm thankful for people that have come along, single moms, and, and cared for them. And We need to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. And we need to come along people who are weak and hurting and need hope and need help. But we ought to be praying that God will do the work. It's not, a, it's not a behavior modification thing for our culture. It's that God does the work. Many of you have put cards like this in the hole in the wall in the back that say impact your, your world, praying for people that don't know Jesus yet. There are some people in this fellowship who have come to faith as a result of your prayers. When you do that, you're praying. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on to say this, give us this day our daily bread. 
What does that mean? Well, daily bread goes way beyond just physical bread. Martin Luther, the reformer, said everything necessary for the preservation of life is bread, including food, a healthy body, good weather, especially if you're a farmer, you're praying for that one, house, home, wife, children, good government, peace. We should be praying for these things. God directs and those are not selfish prayers unless that is the extent of our prayers where we treat God as a great Santa Claus. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But we should come to him and put this because it reminds us he is the ultimate authority. When you sit down to a meal, it's a great thing to spend time praying. God, thank you for this meal. You say, well, I work for it. Who gave you the strength to work? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the ability? God, thank you for your provision. Whether you say it audibly or silently, is there a spirit of thankfulness? Both are prayers. George Mueller had a series of orphanages in England, and it started as he saw the plight of orphans where he opened up his home, he and his wife, to six children. And that grew to where over his lifetime, he ministered to over 10,000 orphans in England in the mid-1800s. There's oftentimes he would sit down, and if you Google his name, if you read any material on him, you'll find probably the most prevalent one is there was one day when he sat down, and he sat before the people, and they had no food for these orphans. He said, set the table anyway. We're going to pray. God will provide. They set the table, brought the orphans in. They began to pray, and there was a knock at the door. Turns out it was a baker, a Christian baker, that had been awakened in the middle of the night, concerned about, you need to bake some bread. He had no idea why. He begins to bake all this additional bread, and then the Lord leads him to knock on the door. That was, Can you use this? Right on the heels of that, there was another knock on the door. And it was a dairyman whose wheel had come off of his cart. And he had all these dairy products that were going to spoil because he couldn't get his vehicle. Didn't have refrigeration then. He said, I don't want it to spoil. Can you use this? And time after time after time after time, God provided for them. I want you to listen to what George Mueller said in one of his books. I quote, the first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith, without anyone being asked by me or any of my fellow laborers, whereby it might be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayers still. Do you believe that? Does God provide for health? Pray. Does God provide if you're out of work? Pray. Does God provide for the ability to take the work that you have? Pray. Now, it's not prayer without, it's not faith without works. I, I want to tell you, look, if you're praying for your marriage, which you should be, guys especially, you should be praying with your wife and with your family. Set the stage. But I want to tell you, it goes beyond that. We have a class that can help you in that to learn more about Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in my marriage as it is in heaven. It's called grace-filled marriage. It's coming up in just a few weeks. If you look in the ministry guide, you can find out how to register for that. And I want to encourage you to do that as you pray. Another thing, maybe you're struggling with finances, or maybe you've got a lot of finances and you're struggling with, what do I do with this appropriately? We also have a class that's coming up in a few weeks called Money Matters. 
some great individuals teaching that, and we want to encourage you to it'll give you practical help on budgeting and biblical principles on saving and on all these types of issues. It's not just about giving, but it's guidance to use what God has entrusted. Pray, but also get involved. He goes on to say in the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We forgive our trespasses as we've forgiven those who trespass against us is what it says oftentimes. This can be confusing because if you are a person, you can say, wait a minute, I thought that when I came to know Christ that all of my sins were forgiven, past, present, and future. Actually, you know, Bishop Matt Hawkins did a great job with that last week. He said that if you were here. When you accept Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. That's why the scripture will call us saints. Well, how does this work? Forgive me my sins or debts as I have forgiven my debtors, those that sin against me. Well, notice first of all that this is prayer is given to people who are believers. It's not how you become a believer, it's how you live as a believer. This is not about how you become a child of God, it's how you live as a child of God. It's not about gaining a relationship with God, it's about living in fellowship with God and with others. Even though we have been forgiven, we will not experience the benefits of that forgiveness if we withhold that forgiveness from somebody else. Ephesians 4.32 says it this way. Be tenderhearted toward each other, forgiving one another in the same way that God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Did you deserve to be forgiven by God? I didn't. Newsflash, neither did you. This is assuming we've received Christ's forgiveness. If I have received Christ's forgiveness, if you have received Christ's forgiveness, we do not have the right to withhold that from someone else. Now, I'm saying forgiveness is a whole big thing. Trust is a different matter. Forgiveness is a gift. Trust is earned. So don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if we're still entrenched in bitterness and I'm going to make them pay and all this type of stuff, that's not forgiveness. Forgive me my trespasses experientially today, even as I forgive those who have sinned against me. This is the prayer of fellowship. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James 1, who was Jesus' brother, says, God doesn't tempt anyone. So what does it mean, don't lead me into temptation? I don't think it's talking about the circumstances of life as much as it is the internal temptation. James says we are drawn away when we ourselves yield, when we give in to that. I think what he's saying here is this. Deliver me from evil. Even help me to master those temptations which I have as I surrender them to you. You see, it's not just praying about spiritual things. It's praying, I mean, about physical things. It's also praying about spiritual things. This is one of the areas in our prayer life that goes lacking. We don't oftentimes pray, God, help me be more patient, because we know that God will send more trials, right? God, help me be more loving. God, help me be more forgiving. God, help me be more grace-based. God, help me... Why wouldn't we pray for that? There's a spiritual battle going on, and we won't do it without his help. So why not admit it? God, help me. Lead me not into temptation, 
but deliver me from evil. And then oftentimes, and we'll pray this in just a minute, there is a, a, a phrase that's used that's not in either passage where the Lord's Prayer is given in Matthew 6 or in Luke 11. It's what I would consider a benediction that was added by the early church. They picked on the practice of the, the Jewish people before them to always conclude with a benediction. But it's a benediction that's contrary to what's gone before. It just sort of puts a bookend on it. And it says this, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to encourage you to continue with praying. We have in the card holders in front of you or on the floor in front of me, there are some index cards like this. They're there to ask you, jot down a prayer. Maybe as you've heard this morning, it's a prayer simply saying, Abba, I belong to you. That's one of the things Brennan Manning taught us to do is to focus, to meditate on that phrase, that simple phrase, Abba, I belong to you. Maybe you want to write that on here, if that's an eye-opener for you. Maybe you want to write, God, thank you for being my father. God, help me to do this. God, help me with my job. God, help me to walk with you. Help me to whatever. Take just a moment and jot something down here. So reach for that in a pen that's there. And if the Lord has given you something, I'm going to give you just a second to write that down. And when you leave in a few minutes, post at the back. And as, as you're doing that, I'm going to ask the band, the worship team, if they would come forward because they're going to lead us in some of our conclusion of the service here in just a moment. So just take a second. There's something that you would have that you want to write down. And if you need to write an epistle, then hang on after the service. You can do that too. So just jot down a thought. It will formalize it in your thinking, formalize it in your mind, as long as it's genuine, as long as it's sincere. Whether you sign it or not is up to you. But it's a matter of saying, God, do this. Maybe in this process you want to write the name of someone you want to see come to Christ and drop it in the hole in the wall. Be a great time to do just that. Let's take a moment to do that. I know I haven't given you much time. If you need more time, then just after the service, take a few moments to jot it down. But I'm going to ask if all of us would stand right now because we do want to recite together the Lord's Prayer. Remember I said that he said pray like this, not pray these words, but there's nothing wrong at all and a lot good with praying these words together. If these words, and you've just heard them, you've heard them taught, I hope you understand a little bit more about them now. If these words accurately reflect the desire of your heart, then I invite you to join with me in praying as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen let's continue with the spirit of prayer and worship as we sing in response